Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. We spent last week, if you weren't here, talking about depression. And what what we tried to do last week was define it. Um, I think a lot of us um, have heard different theories, thoughts, ideas about depression. Um, And it's really hard in our culture to really define it well over the last, I would say, most of us who grew up in it. Right, depression was one of those things that you didn't really talk about, uh, especially not at church. And so we just talked about some of the damages that come from that. We talked about some of the repercussions of that. And so before we wanted to get started today, uh, what I wanted to do is, one, um, explain what we're going to be doing. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time in q and I've had my wife Erin up here. And uh, we're going to be talking about experiencing depression. So we defined it last week. And this week what I want to do is just kind of give some insight on what does it mean. And I think we'll be shocked that we'll see people and perhaps even our own selves who've walked through some of these things. But before we started, I thought, you know what, we need to look at what, what one of the most important things that I think is important is, is look in the Bible and see where was there a time where someone experienced depression. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read for you a passage, which I find phenomenal. Um, it's Psalm 22. Some of you may know this one. You know the first line because Jesus said this on the cross. And I think in probably his most saddest of states. He cries this out. But this was a psalm that David wrote. And I wanted to read it to you because it's so powerful. And I think it speaks volumes of not only the experience, but hopefully what biblical faithfulness can look like in the midst of some terrible things. So I'm going to read that with you today. If you want to join me in your Bibles, you can. It'll be on the screen. Uh, and I'm going to read that uh, to kind of get us started today. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance? And from my words of groaning, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest, but you are holy and throne on the praise of Israel. Our ancestors trusted you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me and they sneer and they shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure in my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan, encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. 
you answered me, and I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who hear the Lord, praise him. All the descendants of Jacob, honor him. All the descendants of Israel, revere him. For he is not despised or abhorred the tormented or the oppressed. He did not hide his face from them, but listened when they cried for help. I will give praise to the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear me. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May the, your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will surrender and remember to turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down in the dust, they kneel before them. Even the ones who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. And they will come and declare righteousness to the people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Let's pray before we open up today. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, God, we're so thankful we serve a Lord who understands us. God, we serve a creator who loves us, who bears our weight, who has been tempted but has been faithful. So, God, I pray that as we step into this topic today, God, we do so lovingly. We do so in a way that reflects you. I pray that you would be with Aaron today. Just give her your spirit. Pour out wisdom, Father and give her courage to speak of things that are difficult. I pray that you will be with each and every one of us as we receive this word, God. Allow us to be receptive of what you are trying to teach us. Allow us to be stirred and convicted by the Holy Spirit on what we must do and how we must respond to this. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, thank you, love. As we look at today's passage, I wanted to give an opportunity to kind of introduce this topic from a different perspective. So um, everybody here bears a different weight when it comes emotionally, right? We've all bearing something different. And um, God has seen it fit for me to experience depression in a much milder manner than maybe some of that I know. Uh, so I didn't really feel fit to come up here and go like, well, this is what depression feels like. Um, I get to do that. <laughs> And so that's why I've, I've asked Aaron to summon the courage to be up here. And, and I know some of you who've been through some difficult times, you understand, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about. And, of course, I'm like, do it up here in front of everybody. That'll be fantastic. Okay. So, um, <laughs> but what I have known is that I, I have found God has used and strengthened Aaron in some unique ways because of her experience. And so I'm excited to be, just be part of this and allow her to find some courage um, and also to be able to use this as an opportunity to kind of share what God's done through this. So I think that's a really important part. So um, we're going to start out a little bit with some questions. I wanted to make it easier for us. So we're just going to ask some questions from her. Um, Aaron, why don't you tell everybody here just a little bit about, like, your experience as far as how long has your experience been um, dealing with depression? Well, this is a hard question to answer because I don't really have a moment where I was like, oh, yep, that's when it started. Um, but it's definitely been years. Um, I saw my first counselor when I was in college for depression. Um, I started some medication when I was in college for depression, and I've been on and off of it since then. Currently not on any right now. Um, but, yeah, just kind of as long as I can remember, I just, yeah, battled okay. with it. Yeah. Um, I know when we were talking before, um, you mentioned, though, having an experience, like experiencing it, 
but not really being able to talk about it at a younger age. Um, well, I knew like? that some things just made me more sad or more angry than others. It was almost like I was just, I had bigger emotions. Um, I knew that I was different. I knew that I wanted to be normal, but I didn't know what that looked like or what really I was even going through. And I think it was kind of growing up in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, it was still kind of taboo. You just didn't really talk about it. You didn't say like, oh, I think I'm dealing with depression. I wasn't sleeping my nights away. I wasn't crying in a corner all the time. You know, it wasn't every day of my life, but it was just something that I knew that I was a little bit different with how I handled and dealt with things. Okay. Um, one of the things I was interested in, I think would be helpful too, uh, what, what kind of triggered your idea of like, I need to go see a counselor? Like, what was that process? It was when I went away to college and I just couldn't get out of this funk. Um, and I would watch all these people around me going through the same things and they were able to be like, just brush it off. And it's like, I didn't really have the desire to want to go and do, I didn't have the desire to want to get out of bed and get to know people and, you know, further you know that kind of fun experience at college I was just sad and I didn't understand why I was and I had a friend who was studying counseling her name was Libby um she was my roommate for a year and she was just kind of like you know what? maybe maybe you should go talk to someone they have a department where you can go and they're doing new research and things and just go kind of talk to them and then they from there after talking with them referred me out to some other counselors that were outside of the school because I think I was kind of bigger than their realm and I was like "Ooh, maybe I am different one of those. <laughs> um, I think it'd be really good. I know, this, and this is hard, but um, I think it would be good for people to have an idea. What it, what was like a low point? I know there's probably been many. We've talked. I've I've been through some, but um, what did a low point in your managing and dealing with depression look like? What were some of the things you experienced? This is a hard one to talk about because I don't like to admit it. But um, it was when I felt like I just didn't want to live anymore. There was. There's been times where. I'd gotten to the lowest of low where it was, I was holding an instrument or planning it out. I just didn't feel like I could handle it anymore. I just didn't, I didn't want to be on the earth. Felt like it was better without me. Right. Um, I know on the depth side of, <laughs> John will get it. <laughs> you know, I forgot to turn on the amphetamine when we went back. It. I think Good, because I deal with things with humor, so it's like I need those, like, you needed the break. I need those That's breaks. There. Thank Good. you, Jesus. Good call, Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, I know that one of the things that we talked about in the midst of those low points was a feeling of isolation and alone. You, you want to expand a little bit on that, I think, might be helpful? I think with depression, that is kind of where you end up. You end up like you're alone. You're isolated. You're lost, and you have nothing to turn to, no one to run to, um, and that's a lie, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but I just felt like I was by myself. And I I was scared to talk about it because, you know, it's like you hear all these horror stories of getting, like, committed or getting this, and it's like, well, that's not what I want, but it's like, but I don't want to live anymore. I don't, I, there was no, I don't know. I don't really can't explain it, but it right. was just like I was scared to talk about it, but I knew I needed to. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think that would be, I think that's helpful. Um, I don't like, I don't know about many of you, uh, like I said, the Lord has blessed me with different burdens. And so part of the process for me to learn how to care for Aaron was really trying to figure out what does that mean? Like, I didn't understand. Like, I grew up, and so maybe some of you have heard these words. Um, why can't you just snap out of it? Uh, just, you know, choose to be happy. I literally, this is a joke, but in, there's a little sign that's about Abraham Lincoln. It says, every day you get to choose whether or not you are happy. And I just thought that's how life was for people. 
so it was very baffling for me to hear someone go like, no, I, like, I just can't muster that. Like, that doesn't work for me. Um, so I think, especially for those who, who know, recognize, like, yeah, I, I, don't, I get sad, but like, it goes away. <laughs> like, like, I go do something, and I feel better, and then there we go, and I can move on about my life. Um, so to hear someone talk about, like, man, it's just, you feel so alone, you feel isolated, um, and it's not something you can just snap out of. Uh, I think it's really important for those who are wanting to care for, who love somebody who's struggling with this. Um, and I think, too, um, it just triggered when you were talking about that. When I was seeing my counselor in college, I just looked at her and I was like, I just want to be normal. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And she was like, honey, normal is a drier setting. It's not a life, it's not a life thing that you do. No, there is no normal. And it just, that has always stuck with me. So it's like, when it's like, I want to be normal. No, nope, you can't, can't do that. That's on a dryer, not a person. There you go, keynotes. <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, we'll, we'll talk about briefly uh, today, and we'll expand a little bit more into next week, but uh, we didn't want to over, just run, bypass this, but there's, there seems to be a connection between anxiety, worry, fear, and depression. And so, um, Aaron, how, how have those particular things played a role in your experience with depression? Which one? <laughs> no, no, I'm right there. Number well, two. I... I have anxiety. I get anxious. <laughs> he skipped a question. <laughs> and now she has anxiety. <laughs> you did it, too. <laughs> well, I think it does because depression starts so slow. Um, you, I can't pinpoint when it started. I can't pinpoint when the episodes start. I can identify when I'm in the middle of it because of how kind of I feel, and I can look back and kind of try, but... Um, it usually starts with anxious moments. I'm getting anxious about getting observed at school or I'm anxious about a conversation I have to have or I'm anxious about a social situation because I have really bad social anxiety. I'm anxious about, you know, I start th overthinking and worrying about, did I say something wrong? And then it kind of leads into this spiral. It could start with one comment from somebody that just kind of spirals and it's just I can't get that out of my head and it kind of turns into a depression. And it just, it starts so slow. And it just kind of creeps in, and there's, it turns into a desire to not do anything. I, you know, you start sleeping a lot. You start, you know, distancing from everyone. Um, you become angry, and it just, they kind of start happening hand in hand. The more depressed you are, the more anxious you are, because then you don't want people to find out about it. So then you're trying to hide it, so you're anxious about that. Yeah, I think that's, and, you know, you were right, by the way, about the question. I know. Uh, <laughs> You got to own it up, right? Um, one of the things that I will say, that I know you mentioned to me, was this idea that, like, you'll get worried, you'll start worrying, and then that leads to a feeling of shame. Like, I shouldn't be worried, right? right? Like, I'm a believer. I shouldn't feel this way. Which then, of course, leads to depression, because mm -hmm. you feel this way, and now you're questioning yourself, uh, which then leads back to worry and then shame. And, it's a, and you mentioned this cyclical, you know, kind of uh, concept. Um, what is some things that, like, what have you recognized in the midst of, those things, how's God's word spoken to you? How's that worked out? You want me to start from the be the beginning? Um, no, I want to save that part. Um, Which part? More, more along the lines of you talked about how where you seek out God's word, um, that comforts you. You feel less anxious. Oh, yeah. I mean, but that didn't happen until I was, I fully committed my life seven years ago. Benjamin was about six, seven months old. Yeah. Um, and that's when I really realized that I have a father to run to, um, that when I seek his word, it becomes less big 
when I have, you know, when I get into his word and I, I start sharing and I start realizing I'm not alone, I need to text a friend or I need to come and tell Ross that I'm feeling this way because I'm so good at hiding it that he doesn't even realize it sometimes, even though he sleeps right beside me and we do life together. Um, but knowing that I have a God and I have a word that I can run to has helped and it helps to ease my mind because it makes it less big. Right. I think that's, that's exactly kind of what I think some people need to hear. Um, you know, we talk about depression, it's a, it's a broad category, but like you said, there's, there's whole, all kinds of outside things that lead to that, and those things are like anxiety. Um, I think a lot of people experience that, and I think our, our culture is a little bit more open about talking about this. When I grew up, I don't even know if we talked about anxiety. Like, I don't think that was a thing. I don't remember it. Um, I certainly remember we mentioned worry, and I remember depression kind of being, but if you were depressed, you wore black clothes, and you listened to emo music. That was kind of the route we went. <laughs> You know, you might paint your, your nails, right? You know, like, you listen to some dark stuff in a corner in your room. Yeah, you know. But really, uh, depression looks like this. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, she mentioned something I think was really important, and I, and I wanted to pause there for a second. Um, people who are dealing with depression are really good at hiding it. They're phenomenal. Um, they, they really do, and they, and they do it for a multitude of reasons. Um, and, and so I don't want to shame you for hiding it. Um, but I'll say this, there were years, years where I, I didn't know what Aaron was going through. And I think that's because I didn't, feel, I didn't feel as I was deserving of that love. And I think that's why it took me so long until I was 31 or 32, whatever, I can't remember, um, to really run to God fully because I was in this moment of depression. Um, but I didn't feel deserving of his love. I didn't feel like... I deserved what Ross was loving me and how he was loving me, my kids loving me, my parents, my family, then how could Jesus love me? You know, but really that's all just a lie. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to circle back to the question that I did miss. Um, why don't you explain to the, the, our, our group here about what does a depressive episode look like and feel like for you? So that's back at the top, sorry. <laughs> we'll kinda, get back on track. I, I kind of already shared it a little bit, but um, it starts out you just don't know. I remember, gosh, when was this, two years ago? It was right coming out of COVID, and, you know, that really sparked some anxiety, too, because it's like, do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Do you take the shot? Do you not take a shot? Do you this? Do you not? Like, what if somebody looks at me funny? What if somebody asks me about it? What do I say? You know, it's just, like, I didn't want to have conversations with people at that moment. But, um what it looks like is I start to have that anxiety spiral and then I just get sad and I start having panic attacks about the stupidest things walking into the grocery store. What, you know, I remember standing in an aisle one day and there's like six different kinds of mac and cheese that, you know, my kids will eat and it's like, well, what kind do I get? I started crying and running out, like going out the store. And I don't know where it came from, but I was in the middle of a depressive es craft. episode at craft. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> The blue box. Can't go wrong every time. <laughs> I mean, but, but Velveeta's really good, too, and Annie makes a good white shells so, and cheddar. Uh, it's like that. <laughs> I wanna, and I want to – the worst thing, and this will be – and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this last year. The hardest problem for many of us who – because, again, we talked about the stats last week. Somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of people have depression. So if you look in this room, there's a good odd chance that, you know, give or take 10 to 15 people in here struggle with it, which means there's a lot that don't. And the struggle we have is we want to fix it. I don't know about how many of you are out there. I am captain solve that problem. 
Don't try okay. to fix me. I want to solve it. So you saw, even just right there, like she's like stressing out about which mac and cheese. I'm like, of course the blue box. Like, is it even an option? Like, it just. And I a- called him and I'm like crying. He's like, what is wrong with right, you? Yeah, like buy the mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you think these it's kids like, care? I don't know. I just don't know what to get. <laughs> but, <laughs> and again, and it's one of those things where, it, you know, it really does take, um, it, it takes an understanding that's beyond our ability by by ourselves. Like I want you to recognize, like I didn't, I'm not like good at this. Uh, I'm probably terrible at this most days. Um, but God has done a great work through Aaron and through His Spirit in me to change some of these things, just to help me grab hold. And that's that's where we want to get with this. Um, and I think too, going back to how has my faith been affected by it. Um, there's an upside to all of this as well, because even though I didn't love myself and I didn't feel worthy of that love, that love is free, <coughs> and he gives us that love in these moments. So I have wrote down here, and I said, you know, it, it's the fact that Jesus always showed up. Even when I was a nine-year-old little girl, mm-hmm. sad, and didn't know why I was sad, and in my room crying because I didn't know what I would say, and I'm just supposed to suck it up and do it anyway, um, Jesus showed up and helped me feel like I was okay. It's either like a moment where he auditory, some people can hear auditorily and he speaks to you or this feeling of the Holy Spirit comes over you and just kind of blankets you or it's a, a friend that calls or sends a text message right at that right moment that you're going, okay, I'm, I'm going to be okay. There, there's going to be an upside to this too or a song that comes on the radio and you just start blaring it and crying. There's, God moves in those moments and that's the Holy Spirit moving to say, you're going to be okay. You know, I've got you. I love you. Even though you don't think that I do, and even though you don't think you're deserving, you're way more than deserving of what you think you are because I made you, and I love you, and I'm going to be there for you. Boy, that'll preach, won't it? (laughs) Goodness gracious. Um, So one of the things I wanted Erin to talk about was just, and she kind of has, but I wanted to kind of give her the space to do this, is, you know, what ways have you seen God use your experience with depression? Well, back when I fully committed to my life to Jesus, um, sitting in that beach house crying at 3 o'clock in the morning, like, do I go outside and scream or do I, you know? But I also felt God say, now you got to use it. Now you have to share your experience. That's what's been holding you back. You've got to open up and let people know that you struggle with this too because they're struggling with it and they don't know how to do that. So that's what God has called me to do, that to let people know there might not be a normal, but, and this isn't normal, but it's okay. And the main thing is it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to say I need help or I'm having a bad day because when we don't share those things, that's when it starts to spiral because the devil wants us to be alone because that's when he can, he can feed and he can, he can get us. The Holy Spirit wants us to be in community, and that's why Sunday is important, because we can gather and say, hey, we're all together, and we're going to do this together. Um, don't come in with a smile on your face if you don't want to smile. Don't come in with makeup done if you feel like you're going to cry. It's okay to come in and just be broken and just stay on your knees the whole time. It's okay to say, I need help. I need prayer. Help me, because that's that's why this is here, cause, because we just can't be alone through it. We can't. That's that's where the devil wants us. That's not where God wants us. God wants us to be together and to lean on each other. So he just, he called me to share it. I started sharing it with youth group when we were at Living Water. Um, I'm better with kids, 
than I am with adults. Sorry, nothing against all y'all. But, like, if y'all were second graders, I would, you know, be, like, down on the floor and all of that. But um, he just called to sh- for me to open up because my experiences are other people's experiences, too, and we only learn from each other. We're not going to learn from sitting in a room, hiding it, and smiling when we don't feel like smiling and putting on that face and that, you know, that desire to be normal when we just don't feel it because we're never going to get past that if we can't share what's going on. Um, I wanted to share about how I watched. I remember the, one of the very first times that she really talked about this. She was a group of girls um, that she was sharing with. And there was, there was one or two in particular that she had gotten to know, knew they were wrestling with depression, knew that they had been dealing with some trauma. And, and, and I remember her like going, I really feel like I need to, but I'm, I'm terrified. I'm terrified because someone's going to find out this out about me. And uh, I remember watching her share and those girls absolutely just bawling because for the first time, they felt like someone understood them. They felt like someone had connected with them. They didn't feel alone. Um, and, I, and I remember watching in awe of what God was using because I, I, you know, at this point, I'd been, we'd been together for eight, nine years, and I was like, man, this is a burden that she's carrying. And I can't care, like I can't, I didn't feel like I could carry any of the weight. Like, I couldn't pull it off of her. And I just watched some of that come off. For the first time, I watched her be able to be able to shoulder underneath something that was so heavy and so difficult and finally find a little bit of relief. And I think it was, and I think for me, that's when I started realizing the importance of God doesn't waste our struggles and our difficulties, our obstacles. He doesn't waste those. But the way we find freedom is letting him use them. The way we find relief the way we, we find, uh, in some sense, comfort is knowing that God can use that, not only in our life, but in other people's lives, in ministry, and expanding the kingdom. So it, to me, I always thought that was the, one of the most powerful things I'd personally experienced, was just watching God use that, knowing how heavy that burden was personally, and, and watching her shoulder that up, do something incredibly brave, but then looking at the impact was amazing. And so... Um, I think that's part of that process is, you know, there is, there is a hope in there that comes from something that's, that's far deeper than just we'll get through it. Uh, there's, there's, a pur- there's a purpose there, and I think that's a super powerful thing. I think, too, I want to say this as well. Um, I'm not cured. Mm. I still get depressed. I still have anxiety, and I still have panic attacks. But I have a relationship with God that I have made so strong that it doesn't last as long. I don't get to hide behind it anymore. I don't get to hide and use it as an excuse because I don't want to. But I still get depressed. I just talk about it. And I think that's so important that I'm not cured. I was just got off medicine from depression, what, eight months ago? Maybe. Because I knew at that point that I needed a little bit of help. And isn't it a miracle that we have medicine that can help us through those moments sometimes? Mm-hmm. Because that's what that's there for. That, to me, is a miracle that we are, have the ability to have doctors that, have, that can help us through those moments. So, just. No, I think that's great. Um, so, I would like this. What would be something you would want to say to those who are struggling with depression like what do you want them to hear from you today you're not alone 
like Michael Jackson, you are not alone. I am here with you. Yeah, I just, that really, that's ADD right there. Sorry, I have that too. Um, <laughs> alone is where it strikes. Alone is where it deepens. But you're not alone. And if you can just remember that, there's always somebody. You have somebody you can talk to. You have somebody you can call on. There's always, and if you don't have anybody, we're sitting right here. There, there's a whole room of people out here that I know that will pray for you, pray with you, and walk that path with you, but you're not alone. You cannot take the isolation as your only escape because just because it's messy doesn't mean we don't want to help you and love you through it. Mm-hmm. It's so important. You know, when you, when you start to feel, because like we said, we can't pinpoint like, okay, I'm, my depression is starting right now. You can't pinpoint that, but you know when you get in the middle of it. I know people that have struggled with depression have shared that before. They get in the middle of it, and then they start to get embarrassed because how did I not realize it? And then how is it spiraling and all that? But that's when you reach out and say, I'm depressed. I'm really sad, and I don't know why. I don't know why this is going on. Help me. Pray for me. Do something. It's those moments where God can use you and your experiences to help you get through it. Yeah, and I would – my my heart has always been, you know – you're worth it. Like I, I know that that's in the midst of your depression and all the lies that you're being told that, that, that Satan is just, he is overwhelming you with this idea. Like, did God really say he loves you? Does he really love you? I mean, you're not really worth it. And for so long, I didn't believe that. <laughs> that's what changed sitting at that dinner table seven years ago. I knew at that moment that I was worth it. I was worth love I was worthy of that love and I knew that something had to change and that change had to start in me and growing that relationship selflessly and selfishly a little bit because I, I wanted to be normal but I also wanted to have a life that fulfilled him but you're worth it please 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 know that you're worth it every moment every breath everything every thought you're worth it you're not alone sorry no that's good. You got me for that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been holding it back. Over You've been doing great. Um, also, so we've talked to those with depression. So let's let's take a minute. What would be something you want to share for those who care for, who love somebody who's in their life that, that regularly deals with depression? What are some things you're like, hey, I need you to know this? Be patient. It doesn't get healed in a day. Be persistent. Just because they push you away doesn't mean they don't need you there. But you can't fix it. Don't try to. We're not fixable. But we're lovable. Take notes of what works in those moments. For me, it's, I just need time. I need to be held I need to be shown that I'm loved, whether it's through a gift, a text, a call, uh, sitting in a room quiet, staring at each other because there's really nothing else to say. Check on them often. Even if they don't text you back or call you back. Call them anyway. Text them anyway. Show up at their door, even if you know they won't answer it. Because what they're doing inside is going, I'm so embarrassed, I can't, I can't answer that door. But man, thank you for sending them to me. Because in those moments, they're going to look back and they're going to know 
somebody loved me. I'm worth it. God sent them because you're worth it. It's those moments. Depressed people don't want people to know that they're depressed. They are the world's best liars without even knowing they're lying because they think they're doing you a service. Nobody wants to be a burden. Nobody wants to be have you carry the heavy load that they can't even hardly carry themselves. But they need to know that there's people there, so just be patient, but yet be so persistent because they need to be loved. That's a, that's a good word. Um, if you're hard-headed like me, you can hear those things multiple times and not get it, okay? Like thousands. Thousands of times. <laughs> um, and, and for someone who, who's in that spot, who I, and I care for, and, I, and, I, and I, my heart broke, um, I cannot reiterate the two of the things she said. Uh, one is listen well. Man, you got to listen. And listen without the tone, because here's the hard part about depression is, right, like all these emotions, like there's anger there. Take the tone out and listen to the words. Don't let the tone impact you. Just, just pull out the words. What are these words that she is saying? Um, the second thing is, is uh, don't fix it. Man, you can't fix it. I have gotten, I have done more damage trying to fix Aaron than I have not trying. Um, and, it, and because there's so much of my nature that's like, I got to protect her, and I've got to make her better, and I've got to make her happy. The best thing that I was ever told by a counselor is that I am not her Jesus. Man, that's a, hard, that's a hard fact. I'm not Aaron's Jesus. I can't fix the brokenness. But what I can do is love her in the midst of her brokenness. And that's our calling. And that is so hard because the temptation is to do more. But if Jesus can't do anything without God, we certainly can't either. All right? If the, the one we worship and serve and rely on for our salvation had to have the Spirit do the work, then so do we. And so what do we do? Man, I'm telling you right now, the hardest but most valiant thing we can do is just sit in that mess with them. Right? Just get up in that mess and sit there. Loving them that way. I think that's the best thing that, that I have found, the most useful thing that we can do in those moments. And so, Aaron, is there anything else you'd like to share while you, you have an opportunity? Just thank you for listening. Thank you for not judging. I mean, at least don't tell me that you've done that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I wanted to share my experiences, even though it's so hard, because even if it helps one person to share with somebody what they're going through, and that God can move in their heart, then that's all worth it. But you're not alone. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, give it up for Aaron one more time. I mean, whew. There was a lot of thought process into this series because I'll be honest with you, as I find many things, I uh, don't like it when God asks me to preach hard things. I, I don't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy preaching about giving a couple weeks ago. Uncomfortable. And I knew stepping into this topic, I was like, this is such a needed topic. But why me? <laughs> like... Like, this isn't even a thing I'm good at. And, um, and so, but again, I, I'm thankful because what I have found is in the midst of all this, I've seen God um, use these conversations 
to begin helping people process. And more importantly, I think, too, I think I'm excited to see what God will do through people like Aaron and through some who may be suffering here. Um, I think that big idea about that we talked about last week was that depression is suffering. It's painful. And it hurts. And when we look at it that way, I think it helps us manage it. And so what I wanted to do, just as a, a brief wrap-up of today, and to kind of tie this in, is um, I wanted us to think about a biblical care for suffering, right? How do we care for people biblically? Now, this is from the individuals caring for other people in depression. And so um, I want to take you to Matthew 25 here. And, and we may have even looked at this a little bit last week, but this verse just sticks in my mind about the importance of our calling on caring for people in suffering. So I'm going to read it for you. Um, it said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. God's word's really, really plain and very direct. We are called to care for those who are oppressed, suffering, and depressed. That's our calling. Each and every one of us are called to this. And it's evident in his word. It's plain. It's evident in his spirit, which he sends upon us. But the real wrestle is, is like, how do we faithfully go about this? And I think, I love it when the Bible's really clear about things, when it points and says, this is what we do. And that's what this passage does. It gives us a really clear understanding of, hey, this is how you care for people. Pay attention. The first two things he mentioned was hungry and thirsty, right? I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, and I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Caring for the physical needs of a human. You can't overlook these things. I can't tell you how many mission trips that I've heard about or I've seen and talked to people about where they go over and they do prayer walks and they ask Jesus to come do some work. They visit a couple of churches, but there's people absolutely starving. There's medical needs and there's, there's thirsty people who can't have access to water and they just completely ignore the, 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 the physical needs. And there's a, there is a part of us that has to serve those things Keep in mind, there is an and here, okay? So I know for some of us, we also know missions groups that go and just serve that. But you need, God has called us to serve intention. All the things in life, the best things in life are in attention. And we are called to address physical needs. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine, he serves in Africa. He goes, you know what's really hard to do? Get someone to pay attention when their stomach's growling. And he's true. I've taught kids. I've taught many of them. And when they come in hungry, guess what they don't like to do? Listen. It sure is hard to hear above the growl of a stomach. It sure is hard to hear when your, your throat is screaming at thirst. So we are called to care for physical needs. 
Don't forget that in the Bible, right, when God saw depression and, and as it fell upon Elijah, what did he tell him to do? He says, here's a snack and take a, and take a nap. You'll be okay. <laughs> right? Sometimes we need to make sure someone has a warm meal. We need to make sure they have a favorite snack and encouraging presence. When dealing with someone with depression, man, like how, how hard is that, right? You got someone who you know they're struggling. How hard is it to go to the store, pick out their favorite little snack item, or bring them a hot meal and say, hey, look, I know you're struggling. Dinner's, I know you stood in that aisle and tried to figure out which box of mac and cheese to make, so I brought you dinner tonight, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's that. And it's such a small thing. Like, I know it doesn't feel like helping, but you don't know what that means to the person. Now they don't have to make a decision. I didn't get that. <laughs> I did the opposite half the time. I would go and want to love Aaron by giving her every option in the book. Where do you want me to do? I'll do it. I don't know what you want. I don't know what I want you to do. I don't even know what I want. <laughs> I don't understand you. <laughs> I just need you to make a decision, you know. And I realized over a long period of time, and many, many times being told this, the best thing I can do is know ahead of time, hey, here's what works and here doesn't. But you know what that takes? I got to pay attention. I got to listen. I got to understand what she's going through. I got to be aware of her physical needs. The next thing it talks about is, is you welcomed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. We can't overlook the, the call to comfort those who are uncomfortable, if you will. Depression can distort how you look at the world. That is the biggest thing that it does. It gives you this distorted lens of what's happening, a broken perspective. It can make you feel like you're alone, like that no one loves you, no one cares about you, no one wants you around, you're too much of a burden. But as we mentioned here before, those are all lies from the devil. Make an effort to be grace-filled. Give grace instead of responding out of anger and frustration, disappointment, or even confusion. Been there. Love your spouse, your child, your neighbor, your coworker. It's really easy, and that's why I told you before, like, take the tone out of the conversation, right? Don't listen to the tone. Become tone deaf. Just listen to the words. Because it's sometimes when we're wrestling with depression, when, when people are struggling with this, the only way that it, it takes so much effort to get anything out that it's just they grab whatever's available. And for all the men in the room knows, we know how motivating anger is, right? Like we, we will grab that in a hot minute. We can do some work if we're angry. So sometimes anger is what we grab, right? Because that's the only thing that gives us enough motivation to get out what we need to get out. But we're called to be grace-filled. So when we're loving someone who's struggling... When we're comforting someone, we give them grace. And it comes in all kinds of forms. But the spiritual comfort is we want to, the way we can spiritually comfort someone is we can point them to the promises of God's word, right? And I don't mean quote a Bible verse, okay? What I'm saying is point them to the places where God speaks truth about his people. That God so loved the world, each and every one of us, Right? That God is not forsaking you. That God crafted you from the womb. You're not a mistake. Right? Helping them remember all the good things that God's done in their life. 
just, just helping change that perspective just a little bit. Remind them of un, God's unfailing love. Because that's what the lies are really trying to do. They're trying to tear down what do you know about God. Did God really say that? Did he really promise you that he would never forsake you, that he would never fail you? The next one says, when you visited me, when I was sick, you took care of me. And in prison, you visited me. God's presence is often expressed in his people. God can show up in a couple of ways, but one of the ways he shows up is just his people. His spirit-filled people coming and being in the presence. Because when two or more are there, guess who else is there? His spirit, right? We, we have that promise. We know that. So it's so important that when we are caring for someone, we need, we need to be there. We need to find and make time to be in that presence. Because when we act like Jesus and we love like Jesus, then we start to look like Jesus. And guess what that means? It means they were reminded of who Jesus is. Because as terrible of an image bearer as we are, if we as broken people can show up and love people, how much more can God do? How much more is God's love? How much, how much grace does God have? How much mercy does he show? When his broken people, who are terrible image bearers, can show up and do the same. It's a reminder of God's goodness. And just, just being there. You cannot undervalue presence. And I think it's important as we kind of close it. This is the thing, and I was told this, and so it's the most important ability is availability. I was told that as an athlete, but I, I started thinking about that. And it's like, man, that's a true statement about our life. That's a true statement about God and what God calls us, right? Our ability to just be available for God is what allows God to move, Right? Our ability to be available for our friends and family who are suffering is how we serve and care for them. So just being available, making time, being in their presence is how we love them. As we close today, and, and again, I'm, I'm so thankful that we have an opportunity to talk about this topic. One of the things I want to do is encourage you, like I said, the two people that are in the room, right? For those who are struggling with depression, you're not alone. You heard Aaron talk about it. No matter what the lies are that you're hearing, no matter how isolated you might feel at times, and, and in the depths of your struggle, I want you to hear that voice resonating. You are not alone. You're not alone in this realm because you have brothers and sisters who are struggling with you. You have community who wants to earnestly love you. There's been no greater honor than to walk along with Aaron and bear her burdens. There has not been. There is nothing that I have done in her life that I'm more proud of than being able to care for her in that way. We've done a lot of cool stuff. But that's the one place where I feel like, man, that, that was such an honor because I knew how hard it was for her to let me do that. It's not a burden, it's an honor. As Aaron would say, don't steal my blessing. Don't steal someone's blessing and be able to care for you and love you. But you're not, you're not alone. On the other end, those who are wanting to care for people, make yourself available. It's not the big stuff, okay? It's not, and it's not, you're not going to fix it. It's going to feel like you're throwing, it literally feels like throwing rocks in the ocean, okay? It's like, I'm not making a big impact here. 
you know, um, because it's not, you, you don't feel like it. But on the other end, man, they're just glad someone's throwing a rock. Okay, they're just so, that's such a powerful thing for them. So do the small things. Be present. Listen. Comfort. That's it. There's no fixing. Your job's not to fix nothing. You're no Jesus. Man, you can be his hands and feet. And it's a glorious thing. And the more and more that we seek out God's guidance in that, the more and more he'll give us wisdom and understanding and grace. And it will be, it's a wonderful thing. It's part of the coming of the kingdom. And I'm excited about that. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And, um, and we're going to close. But as we close and as we pray today, I, I want to encourage you. Um, I want you to think about who God is calling you to care for. And maybe you're wrestling with some stuff yourself. Maybe you're, <laughs> maybe you're halfway down that dark valley right now. And if you are, I, I want you to know this. We have people here today who want to pray with you. I've got Mark in the back. I'm going to be right here. And we want to pray with you. And if, and if you want to pray with, and Melissa's back there too, so like if you're a lady and you'd rather pray with a lady, do that. Or grab Aaron right afterwards. But man, don't, don't walk out of here today without being prayed for if you're struggling. Like, please don't do that. Because there's nothing more that we want to do than to care for you. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed week.